Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Um, that's the thing. Like when you say like Kiermaier has the thing, same thing as Vlad, that makes it sound like Vlad has been awful. He hasn't been awful. He just hasn't been great. And Kiermaier has been. A little aside, a little do-over that literally fits the stinger to a T. Do you have uh, this podcast's uh, penultimate thought? Huh, the penultimate thought, huh? And welcome to episode number 281 of Artificial Turf Wars where every podcast is different, but also the same. I am your host, Greg Wazowski, and I am joined by the jocular Joshua Housem. How's it going, Josh? That was a nice little nod to, uh, <laughs> to a tweet from Josh Goldberg. <laughs> it, it, it's probably my favorite tweet of 2023, uh, baseball-related. I don't know if I have another one. I just don't want to. I don't, I don't think he knew when he, when he tweeted that. Is there anything <laughs> that people are going to be retweeting all season? <laughs> but they are. <laughs> Uh, it, it captures a real feeling. Um, you know who else captures a real feeling? The Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, what is that feeling? I guess we're going to have to discuss it. Uh, we're going to talk about how they work their way into a playoff spot and then right back out again real quick and the exact math of all that. Uh, talk about David Schneider being the awesomest thing that's happened this year, if non-pitcher edition. Uh, Spencer Horwitz and Ernie Clement are also no slouches uh, with the call-ups, which is good because Danny Jansen and Brandon Bell are both sidelined for a while. Speaking of sidelined people, I, I don't know if this is even... <sighs> sidelined is, is an understatement when it comes to Alec Manoa. Um, yeah, and we're going to talk about the, the situation the Blue Jays find themselves in, and then uh, we're also going to talk about a situation a certain Mariner pitcher found himself in and failed to uh, word his way out of. So, we begin. Uh, it was a good little run, as, as it should have been a good little run, right? I, I believe they won, what, 10 out of 15 against uh, the weaker teams in the soft part of the schedule, right? And then once they cleared the Cleveland one, which Cleveland is not as bad as their record suggests because they got that pitching, but once they cleared Cleveland, then they won 9 of 12 against the true bottom feeders. Which was what I think we were saying 8 eight of 12 or 9 of 12 was what we were hoping for, right? Yeah, 9 of 12 was what we said that they needed to do. 8 of 12 is what we would accept, I think, was our answer on the last episode or whenever that question came up. Now, I don't know, did I predict it out loud? Because in, in my head, I said, I think they will do reasonably well. Like, you know, I, I have every hope that they will do reasonably well in that eight or nine win zone uh, against the, the teams that are not great. But then when it comes to playing the teams at the end of the month, starting with Texas, I think they're going to not, not 
bring their best. And whoo, boy. Yeah. They're down. Are they still down 7 nothing? I have, yep. I have closed, yep. closed yeah, the tab. 7 nothing after into the top of the 8th. So that will be three games in a row against Texas where um, uh, a dead fish in the bottom of a boat uh, has looked better than, than the combined offensive and, de- uh, offensive and pitching efforts of the Toronto Blue Jays in this series. Yeah, it's bad. <laughs> it's really, really bad. Um, you know, you know, there were some red flags even in those games against Oakland and Kansas City, especially Kansas City, where they didn't do much of anything against Kansas City starting pitchers, especially in games one and three of the series. I mean, they only took the lead on Reagans because he threw three wild pitches in a row by slipping twice on the mound. You know, Reagans is great, but they had nothing. And we talked about this a long time ago where the Jays have it having making mediocre pitchers look good and good pitchers look untouchable. You know, guys that should be giving up maybe two runs in a good outing in an outing are giving up zero against the Blue Jays. And that just that's what happened. I mean, it would have happened if he didn't fall the mound twice. But you know, it's so there were red flags in there, but they also they won the game. So at the same time, it's like just win, baby. Like who cares how you win? But those same problems are existing against a team that doesn't suck. And the Rangers are just beating the Blue Jays starters all over the park and the Jays offense is doing nothing. Yeah, and those I, I subscribe to the just win, baby. It doesn't really matter if you win 6-5 or 3-2 or, or, or whatever the Blue Jays have done when they've won this year. Um, you know, the you could argue that one of the San Francisco Giants World Series teams, I think 2012, sort of made a brand out of out of nibbling your teeth off while squeezing in because of great pitching and mediocre offense. But that's not how this team was built. Um, It was built to be a much more balanced team. So each time you try and lean on that pitching, you're, you're asking for more than, than the talent level that's in there. And each time that the hitting fails, it seems like the talent level isn't there. What my question for you is though, if you look at the overall numbers, they're, pretty good like middle of the pack or a little bit better how, how does that translate into such lousy result yeah i mean it, it, well it hasn't really been lousy results if you think about it like up until this series they were in the second wild card spot right i mean that, yeah. and they had the fifth best record in baseball or something which isn't what we wanted you know because when we look at this team, we thought this team should have been contending for the division, but it was fine until this series where none of that has been the case. The pitching has been starting pitching, especially has been awful. Actually the whole, all the pitching has been pretty bad and the offense just hasn't been there. Um, then the managing was bad too. Like, I don't know how they let Chris Bassett pitch the sixth in the opener of the series. He was clearly struggling. And with Chris Bassett, he's either great or not. Right. Like we, yeah. we comment on that last episode, right? And he was clearly struggling. So how they let him go in against the top of that lineup, which, you know, Corey Seager is the best player in the world, apparently. But, yeah, in a one-run game, I don't understand it. And then he gave up a couple runs, and then the bullpen imploded because Hennessy Cabrera came in and gave a grand slam. But uh, Or was it a 3 on home run? I can't remember. No, it was but, a grand slam. I remember yeah, reading slam. the notification. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, boy, boy, did he start giving up runs in a hurry. But, uh... But yeah, it was just a, an odd decision. Like, I mean, it was a weird, I don't understand it. I, I didn't understand the time. But at the same time, it's not like I can 
blame him for the loss because they just didn't play well. They haven't played well in any of the three games in the series so far. Yeah, and it's it's tough to see it happen. Like, but but there's also, I mean, notice the phrases I've been using. Open the tab, get the notification, check the Twitter. Uh, I don't have a lot of faith that this team is going to make a big comeback against the Texas bullpen because they've demonstrated several times that that's not the kind of bullpen that they make a comeback against. Um, so it's it's not that entertaining. And the crowd at the Dome reflects that. Yeah, I mean, I was there Tuesday for the second game in the series. And, you know, it was dead. And it was dead game one. It's dead today. Again, I'm recording this during game three. It's, well, I mean, top of the ninth, down nine, nothing. So really after game three, <laughs> um, down seven, nothing. But uh, in the Kansas City series, uh, I, I made a tweet on Friday that the Jays would be disappointed with 26,000 fans on the Friday of, you know, pennant race. And people got mad at me. It's like, well, they would be disappointed, right? But the Jays haven't really earned fan energy right now like they're not playing good baseball and when you're down in every game early it's hard for fans to be excited like they'll get excited when you come back if you do like they did against kansas city but in these texas games where where does the energy come from like the the players on the field aren't showing anything so why would the jays fans show anything in return yeah, I, I agree. It's it's a feedback loop, and and Kevin Kiermeyer was Kiermeyer with the with the microphone on uh huh on Sunday. Um, bless his heart, he knows you know what it's like to play for nobody in Tampa. So you know he can see that the energy is there in a way that is absolutely not in a, in a place like Tampa, and yet you know you, you can't have Kevin Kiermeyer batting, you know, everybody in and 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 being an offensive powerhouse. That's, that's not what he is. I I think I think it is crazy that David Schneider has come up and had a historic opening run to his season. It's awesome. But it really highlights how abysmal everybody else has been since April, save Bobachet. And and Brandon Bell. Sorry, Brandon Bell, but Brandon Bell has been a problem because he hasn't been able to get the plate appearances that he needs to to maintain the consistency. Yeah. So right now, Kevin Kiermaier and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. have the same OPS. I don't. That's no, where we are. I have no response. Right. Do you know but what like I mean? That, yeah. <laughs> I mean that, but that's where it is. Like, Vlad underperforming. Chapman was underperforming. Varsho underperforming. Springer underperforming. Kirk underperforming. And it's been this way all season for all these guys, except for Chapman had the good month. And he was good for a little bit in July, but still not good overall. But, you know, when that's the case, when you have that much underperformance up and down a lineup, getting a surprisingly good season from Kevin Kiermaier, right, that he's having a much better normal offensive than normal offensive season, you can't reap the benefits of that or of the surprisingly good until this weekend starting pitching that they've shown, right? You can't reap the benefits of these guys putting up great numbers because the guys that are supposed to be carrying you are not. And I put a tweet out earlier today. I like uh, someone had talked about something to do with home runs and it made me think about it. The only players on the blue Jays right now with isolated slugging, which is slugging minus batting average. So just extra base hits 
above 200 are Davis Schneider and the Inder Danny Jensen and Brandon Belt. That's it. Yeah. Uh, also, home runs have not come with players on base nearly as much as one might expect. James and T.O. has done a lot of these, but my, my favorite uh, illustration, just because of the symmetry, symmetry, the, the, the satisfying pattern was Jay's three-run home runs in 2023. It was April 5, and then he went through each month, and the total goes 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, 0. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow, that's really bad. Yeah. I mean, look, it's hard to do a podcast, right? About because we don't want to just be negative, right? We <laughs> we like this team. We're Blue Jays fans. That's why we do this show. But there's just, you know, there's not a lot to be positive about in the midst of just getting trounced at home in the biggest series of the year, and it's the same problems we've been seeing all year, combined with starting pitching failure, which we said was going to come at some point, right? Because of course it was. Yeah, and we were we were hoping, I think, for the longest time that that would would coincide with you know two weeks where Vlad actually had an OPS of a thousand because you know he found it. But <laughs> again, is is what is it in Vlad's case? It, I think, honestly, is a re a reevaluation of his entire approach. <laughs> and I know you don't do that in the middle of a season, but. If Vlad is going to keep pounding the ball into the ground, you can only squeak so many singles and doubles through the infield um, and and end up with decent numbers if you're not going to be super patient at the plate. And he's given up on being super patient. So here we are. He has the same OPS as Kevin Kiermaier. And George Springer and Kevin Biggio have a suspiciously close OPS. Um. Yeah, I mean, I wish George Springer had a especially close OPS, but he doesn't. It's still twenty points lower. But, uh, but it's I mean, so so is Bichette, so is Biggio's, right? It's forty points lower. So they're not; those guys aren't actually close to Vlad. But no, no, in the I, second sorry. half, Biggio's been tremendous. To, I was referring to those two guys that George Springer and Kevin Biggio shouldn't have the same OPS, right? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Um, <laughs> again, it's still twenty points difference, but. They shouldn't be in the ballpark. No, unless like, Biggio is having a great season, yeah. but he's not. <laughs> yeah, um, that's the thing. Like when you say like Kiermaier has the thing, same thing as Vlad, that makes it sound like Vlad has been awful. He hasn't been awful. He just hasn't been great. And Kiermaier has been right. Yeah. So that one's okay. But, but yeah, but Springer and like Varsho is, he's barely better than Santiago Espinal in OPS. And I wanted Espinal sent to the minors, who's actually been Espinal's actually been great lately. So you know it's hard, hard to complain, but. But overall, like the, these guys just aren't getting it done, right? And in, when the pitching fails, as it did, if your offense doesn't turn it around to something close to its normal levels, then this series is what happens. Yeah. Um, we, we probably should give props to David Schneider for continuing to be awesome. And Ernie Clement. Yeah. And Spencer Horowitz. Yeah. <laughs> I think Clement this has is the two of their five hits today. I think this is the only time I have seen three guys called up in September, effectively. I mean, it's injuries and everything. I understand September call-ups don't work like they used to. But three guys called up late in the season, none of whom is allotted prospect from the, from the strictest standpoint, and all perform as above-average hitters in the major league. 
limited plate appearances, but it's, I don't know, it's kind of crazy. Do you remember Adam Lynn who got called up, uh, did great, and then went one for 19 to start a season? I, I feel, is that what's going to happen to Spencer Horowitz and Ernie Clement next year? Will there huh. be a next year? Well, I mean, let's focus on next year, next year, but yeah. But for this year, it's obviously been a great story. And as you said, none of them, well, I mean, Ernie Clement's not young either. I mean, he's been around, but I mean, he's 27 years old, but the other guys have, I mean, all three of them have been performing. Um, You know, Horowitz is doing the Horowitz thing where he just gets hits and walks. Like he doesn't have a lot of power. Same with Clement. He doesn't walk at all. <laughs> he's got one walk. But he's been putting the ball in play really well. He's he's only struck out four times. And then Schneider is doing the power and the walks, right? It's they've all been just carrying the offense, which is a sad thing. <laughs> well, them, well, them and Biggio. Biggio's been fantastic of late. He's got an OPS of eight something in the in the second half. But you know, it's not it's it's great that they're getting this performance from these guys, right? Like, but it's just unfortunately, it's the only performance they're getting as opposed to supplementing other performance. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, were, were you expecting David Schneider's power? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, he hit for a lot of power in the minors, right? So the, the home run power, I mean, okay, was I expecting him to come out here and hit eight home runs in his first hundred plate appearances? No, I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> but he is a power hitter. Right? He hit for power in the minors, which is part of the why, why people wanted him to get called up. But this is insane. Yeah. I, I'm just I asked because it's the good kind of insane. We we haven't had a lot of that on the on the batting side, and yeah, I mean that mustache obviously is the secret to everything. So yeah, I mean, so the strikeout rate is not great. It's about twenty eight percent, somewhere in that range. But the walk rate is around nineteen percent or eighteen percent, right? And <laughs> that's incredible. So yeah. it's an approach that is sustainable, and why he should be a viable big leaguer, even if he. You know, he's not going to hit with a 1,300 OPS. No. Uh, he might not even be a 900 OPS. I mean, it might be like a guy who hovers around 800 because he has walks and power. But that's a very viable big leader. Yeah, I think his batting average on balls in play is over 400 still, which is just a crazy number. Like 300 is league average. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in small samples, you will get weird, weird yeah. variances there, but... But that it's that's a great indicator that yeah you can't just have every ball drop all the time uh, even though Chris Colabello did have a season like that um, yeah so I, I we know David Schneider is probably on this team next year which is kind of cool it's a thing that maybe we weren't expecting uh, to know by this point um, I but the rest of it is all kind of just put it in a blender and hope it comes out at the end of October and they're ahead of. Seattle and Texas somehow, but it seems seems a lot less likely after this series. Now, here's the thing, though: if they win the fourth game of this series, they're still only a half game back, right? It's like, yeah, they can. And then Texas and Seattle play each other seven times down the stretch. So if the Jays win the fourth game of this series, they're still not in a bad place for their chances to get in the postseason because the Yankees are they're terrible. And, and they lost the guy that was their big call-up prospect that was scaring me, Jason Dominguez. He's out for the season. So the Yankees are awful. The Red Sox aren't very good. They have a chance to actually win these games against the, the not-great teams that you were talking about earlier, right? And 
still get in, but they have to win game four. They have to. You cannot get swept in a four-gamer at home by the team you're fighting for a postseason spot. Well, it, it uh, you know, the postseason, the regular season are separate things, I understand. But if you, if you continuously put yourself in a position where, A, you are already losing most of your tiebreakers, um, and B, you're going to have to face one of the teams that just, just made mincemeat out of you in the regular season in the, in the wild card series. Yeah, not good. It, it doesn't bode well. It, it augurs poorly, as they say. Now, uh, the no, other... What's oh, that? I'm sorry. Gossman is starting the finale, right? This is, so, he is your ace. He is a Cy Young contender. They need him to just step up and outpitch Nathan Navaldi. That's just what has to happen, right? And if he does, they can do this. And if he doesn't, they won't. It's it's, it's pretty simple, really. Uh, Kevin Gaussman of the infamously low run support this season. That's what he's got to outpitch him. He's just got to yeah. be better. Got to have give up negative one run so if the Jays don't score anything for him. They could still beat Eovaldi. Oh. Finally, we should talk about a pitcher who isn't even on the Blue Jays' big league roster. Uh, he's actually not even on the AAA roster at the moment, technically, because he's on the temporarily inactive list. And his name is Alec Manoa. I, yeah. I did not think Alec Manoa was going to be a... How shall I put it? A more contentious pitcher than Marcus Stroman. But I think we're there. Oh, man. It's, it's rough. It, it, it's, I hate that it got to this point. Because like we both really liked Alec Manoa. We like Alec Manoa. I don't want to say that in the past tense. But like this situation is not playing out in a way that looks really good for him. And you know, for those who don't know, Ben Wagner went on the radio and reported that Essentially, Manoa didn't agree with the idea of being demoted for performance reasons and fought it, trying to, you know, go through all these tests to see if they could find an injury so he'd stay on the major league IL and get paid and service time and all that. Basically, didn't believe he deserved to be demoted. And and then because of that, he has put himself out of a position to be available if someone gets hurt down the stretch. He, he will not be able to come back. He hasn't pitched in a month. And... It sucks, and it, it's it's. I, I really wonder how that plays with other people because, of course, he needed to be demoted. He was awful. You know, they he pitched in a six man rotation, so he came back from the minors because they had no one else. Right? They needed a fifth starter, mm-hmm. and then Ryu came back, and they used six starters because they were playing seventeen games in seventeen days. But when that ended, and they only needed five starters. Of course, Manoa had to go down. I just don't understand how he can't know that. That is the part that I don't understand either, because, you know, promotions and demotions are a ugly but accepted part of baseball, right? Ask Mike McCoy, circa, you know, 2010, how many... Way back, but sure, okay. (laughs) Well, ask ask any 26th man. How about ask ask Jay Jay Jackson this year? Four yeah. times he's been sent to the minors. Um, and, and that isn't even performance related. But the simple question that I think every player who gets demoted has to, has to ask themselves is, okay, if there was too many guys on this team because someone came back from an injury 
or you know whatever the situation was who is the player who should get sent down who isn't me who's who you know who's a worse fit than me on this team right now i have no idea what argument alec manoa would make that he was better than any of the guys who take the ball to start games for the toronto blue jays like what possible concept would would you be following to say you were better than than any of those guys especially since hyunjin ryu returned as short but just as effective as ever and i mean short duration uh hyunjin ryu yeah yeah I, I just don't get it i don't understand and i hope that the time away gives him time to find some clarity and he can redevote himself to every aspect of getting better whether that's pitch design whether it's conditioning whether it's i don't know anything we'll just but just like refocus on just being the best 2024 pitcher he can be and that this doesn't lead to some fracture that forces him to be shipped out of town right because this guy was the future of the jays rotation as recently as six months ago yeah he he leapfrogged nate pearson effortlessly last year yeah, and, and it was the reason that people – I mean, he was a guy who finished in this – he got Cy Young votes last year. Yeah. Right? And people were looking at Manoa as the guy that they should extend, give a big contract to. I mean, I finished third in the voting. Yep. But, you know, now it's people – I'm seeing it, right? People are saying, like, he, he'll never pitch for the Jays again or he should never pitch for the Jays again. And – this is a bad look. People should, when people are saying stuff like that about a guy that last year at a 2.24 ERA was your game one postseason starter and finished third in the Cy Young voting, who's 26 years old next year. Right? People shouldn't be saying that about you. That's what that's what this situation has caused, and it's really unfortunate. Yeah, and and I I think I I, I have every. You know, I'm I'm the most pro labor guy out there. I'm sure, as as people know, in terms of a, a player's right to to be treated fairly. But I don't think he was treated unfairly. No, right. That's the thing is I don't see how he could make an argument or his camp or wh- whoever is making noise that somehow this was unfair. Y- you were, you know, you were offered an opportunity to go pitch in AAA. You were told that that's where you go to work on the things you need to work on since every big league option is superior to you at the moment. And you just said, no, like that's, that's not fair to all of your teammates. And the reason he's on the the temporarily restricted list is it takes a roster spot in Buffalo when they assign him to Buffalo. And when he doesn't show up, they're short a man in the bullpen or or on the, in the rotation, depending on how you perceive that. But there was the bullpen was the issue. Yeah. Yeah. How can you do that? Like, do you think when you walk into that clubhouse, when you come off of that list, that those people are going to be happy to have you there? They're going to be pleased that you made everything more difficult for them as a team? Like, I don't know. The Which is why he's just going to go home, through. right? Because yeah. can't do that. <clears throat> yep. But again, you got to start somewhere. You got to come back someday. I think that's why people well, are that's like, the thing. he's got to, he's got to just like this season's done, right? He's, yep. he's out. I, I think they should try to get him, send him to winter ball or something like that. Just as like, look, go back out there and finish the season doing something better. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't think it's an easy answer, but I get why people are saying, you know, 
I don't know if he pitches for the Blue Jays again is because it's very like where do you start? And I think Winterball maybe is a is a good idea in terms of like it's an environment where people don't have baggage with him to see if physically he's where he wants to be at. And then you can start again in spring training if he is. Yep. Crazy. Uh you know what? <laughs> we're happy sunshine podcast today. <laughs> it is what it is. Uh, all right. Well, uh, speaking of crazy, we're going to take a crazy little break. Uh, you can predict what song it's going to be here, Josh, even though I usually add it later. Uh, and then we're going to come back <laughs> and we're going to have a do over. are back um are we crazy it's possible it's, it's been known there's been accusations you know those sorts of things uh we do have a, a little aside a little do-over that literally fits the stinger to a t oops i said the quiet part loud and the loud part quiet <laughs> but what if you could do it all over again but what i really meant was george kirby of the mariners starting pitcher um I'm sure he's a stand-up guy. May have let his tongue get the better of him because when asked about a game in which he gave up a game-tying two-run home run to Rene Pinto uh, in the seventh inning on his 102nd pitch, he said, and I quote, I wish I wasn't out there for the seventh, to be honest. I was at 90 pitches, and I didn't think I really could go anymore, but it is what it is. Whoops! (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I understand there's a cliche in baseball about always saying, you know, Skip, I can go one more, just give me one more batter, I go one more guy. But I don't think telling everyone that the manager should have taken you out absolves you of any responsibility here. Uh, And certainly that's not the place to announce it is in the post-game scrub. Right. That this is the part. Like, look, if he <clears throat> came up this way, like it's like this is you don't you don't face the lineup this number of times, you don't throw this many pitches in a game. That might be the way he's used to pitching. But there's two problems for me. One, he said this out loud instead of to his manager privately. Instead of saying, Hey, I think I'm done, take me out. He said this in the post game that he shouldn't have been pitching because he was at 90 pitches. That's just garbage. The issue to me too, which he then walked this part back, is as a starter, you should like as a pitcher, you should want to be pitching in the spots, right? Like you, you should always want to be out there, not thinking, oh, I'm at 90, it's probably time for me to come out. You should be thinking, I'm going to go until they tell me it's time for me to come out, right? Unless you're hurt or if you feel tired, at which point you say something to your manager, not, oh, well, it's a number on a scoreboard, right? Like I don't get that part of it. And he and he walked us back the next day. He said. Just super uncharacteristic of me as a player and who I am on that mound. I love competing. Skip's always got to pry the ball out of my hands, right? Like, okay. So he realized that that was done. But again, why say this at all? That's the big question. Why say it at all? I, I don't understand. Yeah, like in the emotion of the moment, it seems like he didn't want the responsibility of having lost the game, which it isn't his responsibility 
to win or lose a game. I, I think that's the other, maybe that's sort of the misplaced thing. Is like, it's a team sport. Uh, if your team had scored eight runs, that two-run home run wouldn't have mattered, right? Like, um, there's a lot of ingredients to a win and a loss. I, I don't know. Uh, it, obviously, psychologically, for a moment, he didn't want to be there, right? He didn't want to. He didn't want to have had that happen. And then he said a thing out loud, that just patently made no sense to say. So that's now, why it's a do-over, right? Uh, yes, exactly. That's why it's a do-over. <laughs> when but. they ask you, yeah, just tell them that, uh, that you'd like to have that pitch back. I think that's the cliche that's acceptable, right? Yeah. And like, here's the thing. The concept behind it is fine. This idea of arm care and knowing that effectiveness drops after a certain point and like this is how some of these guys are trained and that's the modern way baseball managers usually operate. So the thinking that maybe he shouldn't have been out there, I actually don't have a problem conceptually with it. I don't, Like I said, it's weird that he would think it specifically, but it is modern baseball. But it's just like keep that behind closed doors, man. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and and if the manager wants to say uh, things about not necessarily pitch count, but I, I have no problem with conversations about there were a lot of high intensity, high leverage situations, high effort pitches, you know, uh, high stress situations. All of these things I do believe are factored into analytics now, which they weren't, you know, fifteen years ago. Um, and I think, generally speaking, that's why we've we've seen success with teams that adopt a strategy of less innings from their starters and you know third time through the order is a is a penalty that they're all aware of etc cetera, etc cetera. so i agree with you the right idea expressed at the wrong place at the wrong time so uh yeah thank you george kirby for um giving us an opportunity to invite you on the show to uh talk all about how uh let's see what was the phrase you you used uh how skip always has to going is now going to have to pry that ball out of your hand uh and we'll forget about the other bit that you said earlier <laughs> yeah so as we roll into the last couple of weeks of the season do you have uh, this podcast's uh, penultimate thought? <laughs> the penultimate thought, huh? Well, if I go last, I guess mine's technically the final. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, I just got to say, as much as, as much flack as Rogers gets for having so much of the media be employed by the same team, people that own the, the team... Thank God it's not like the Orioles. So the Sabuk Martinez was talking about the Jays and he said, I mean, he said, quote, I mean, we've been saying it all season. Sooner or later, these guys are going to start hitting. Well, we're running out of later, right? Yeah. Pretty, pretty fair comment. But could you imagine the Orioles guy saying that? <laughs> right? What well, would Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> so I do appreciate the booth. You know, I like Buck and and and, uh, and Schulman together. I think they're great. I don't like Buck as the as the play by play because he's not a play by play guy. But I like that they're willing to be honest about the team, and that they have the freedom to do that. Even if fans might not like it that much, sometimes like it's just sometimes you got to hear something. And I I just 
I, I just want to say I appreciate that. Yeah, I, I do think uh, Rogers, uh, again, full disclosure, am Rogers' employee. I do think Rogers respects the idea of that editorial independence. Um, that if if something is going on with the team, that any any member of the media who covers the team can, provided they you know say it's their opinion, can call it as they see it, and certainly can highlight it with with, with appropriate facts on a slide. <laughs> Sorry, I'm thinking about the the Orioles going through all the trouble to create a slide that basically got a guy suspended. I mean, that was just incredible. I love that. That's the best part of that whole stuff, that whole thing. They had yeah. to work to create a thing that got their guy booted off the, <laughs> off the air. Oh. Um, yeah, my final thought. Um, I, I am. I'm so far away from being excited about what happens to this team if they do make the playoffs. I'm surprised at myself. And then I go on Twitter and I'm, I'm, I'm not alone, which is the part I think is really weird. It is not hard to find other people who are like, call me when this team is, is worth watching, despite the fact that the wild card hunt is there. And we're showing yeah, up at the attendance. Yeah, that too. It's just a general overall, uh, you know, sometimes a team that just goes a little bit crazy and plays a little illogically, like, you know, making, making uh, a juice bar in the dugout uh, <laughs> is, is more fun to watch than one that is assembled to do a certain thing and then on top of it it didn't do the certain thing that was assembled to do which i am curious if the blue jays miss the playoffs here is is this the end of the um shapiro atkins era in toronto um if, as a duo probably I, I don't see shapiro going anywhere not especially down the middle of these renovations no uh, it just they it's the old they came together so uh it's it's difficult for me to separate them, and it's difficult because so few people on Twitter and the like separate them, right? They treat I wish them that like... wasn't the case, by the way. I push back oh, yeah. against that constantly. They're not the same person, and they have very different responsibilities. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, but I, I get caught up in it. I'm one of those people. I apologize. But here's the thing. I can't see how, if they miss, John Schneider survives the season. And I can't see how Ross Atkins survives John Schneider not surviving the season. You can't pick three managers in a six-year, seven-year, ten-year as GM. That just doesn't work. Yeah, and and yeah, I yes, he, he has yet to pick a manager that was the right fit for the team that he had under his belt. If that's the case, but that's my point. Is that you you yeah. get you get. One failed handpicked manager. You get one, which in his case was Montoyo. Especially because that guy took them from the development stage to the contending stage, right? Okay, you get to replace that guy. But you can't replace the guy you picked to replace that guy one year later. Like, at some point, it's like, it's on you. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. It's like part, part of your job is to pick a guy who uh, 
is is the right fit for the team going forward, whatever that is. Um, it is interesting to me that uh, the the promise I believe was making the playoffs in th- like three of the next five years was what the target was when when they started to put together the Vlad and Bo version of this roster. Was that a thing? I thought that was a comment that made way back by by Beeston or something. Uh, no, I think it was more recent. I, I think it, I'm pretty sure it was since Shapiro and Atkins. But the Blue Jays may well make the the playoffs three or four times in a five year span, and it will feel so cheap. <laughs> See, I, I I'd be surprised if they said that because their goal has always been just we want to win the title. Like, but either way, like, yeah. Here's the thing. The Blue Jays have 80 wins. And so that's uh, 100, through 145 games. Yeah, because they're 80 and 65. So that's not horrible, right? It's no. Like they, they're on pace for what? What is that? Right? 88 wins? No idea. Nine wins. They're on pace for 89 wins. By by the numbers, obviously, you know the series at the end could change that. But like, they might be three straight years at ninety wins and be a disappointment, which is crazy considering the Jays have never had that kind of success since the early nineties, right? Even yep. the even the World Series teams, I'm sorry, even the 2015 and 16 teams that made the postseason were surrounded by teams that weren't very good on both sides. So. It's it's crazy to think that we could be talking about three straight teams that won 90 games and only one of them makes the postseason. But that is what we're looking at. Although I think if they get to 90, they'll get in. Uh, yeah, but then flip it. How many postseason game victories, not series victories, game victories do they have in this entire span? Zero. Not enough just to make the playoffs. Once you've once you've made the playoffs a couple of times, like you said, you got to win a title. Uh, well, while the flags are flying forever up there from ninety two ninety three, um, I think this is the part where I say that you have been Joshua Housem at Joshua Housem, and I have been Greg Wisniewski at Coolhead twenty ten, and this has been episode number two hundred and eighty one of Artificial Turf Wars, and we will talk at you next week. <laughs>